Romans chapter eight, a familiar passage. Hear God as he speaks to us again this morning, this, this afternoon, this evening. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we do ask for your thanks and praise at this time as we seek to understand your word. Guide us and direct us by the power of your spirit, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, a familiar text as I mentioned. Just recently, very recently, a very good friend of mine, a young friend, was diagnosed with cancer. Now, on the outside, he looked perfectly healthy. And for a long period of time, he felt perfectly healthy. But on the inside, where nobody could see, on the inside where even he himself couldn't feel it, Cancer was attacking him and was destroying his body. Now, many of you know somebody or have gone through that experience yourself, and you know exactly what that's like. How everything can be appearing to be fine and normal, and then suddenly you realize that there has been an enemy that has been alive and attacking your body this entire time. Last week, we began a series on temptations. 
what are temptations? What does it mean to be tempted? How do we struggle against temptations? What does temptation look like for the believer as we move through our life? And this idea of cancer, which unfortunately all of us are so familiar with, is such a great picture of this because we can go through so much of our life just very blasé, very uh, cavalier when it comes to temptation, not taking it very seriously. But I guarantee you that my friend now takes cancer very seriously. Just like the sin in our bodies that tempt us to draw us away from the Lord and the temptations that entice us to lead us away from God. So it is that we are confronted each and every day by these kind of temptations. Before we look at the question of how we tackle temptation, where temptation comes from, how can we recognize its sources, how can we then live faithfully in the midst of temptations, because that's our goal, not to avoid them necessarily, because they are going to come, but how do we live faithfully in midst of our temptations? Before we do that, we have to clarify and speak very directly to the question of how seriously we take temptations. How seriously do we take it? Last week I mentioned this very briefly, and I said that I think that at least for a couple reasons we should take it very seriously. One reason is that there seems to be an inherent characteristic in all human beings that recognize the danger and the warning signs and the evil of temptations. Even non-Christians tend to have an awareness that there's something out there that, that idea of being tempted away from that which we desire is something that seems to happen all too often. The, even the non-Christians among us realize that temptation is bad. And we certainly realize that when the Spirit works within us and convicts us of that as well. But beyond that, I think that we need to take temptation so seriously because the Scripture itself takes temptation seriously. Because the scripture focuses upon this and directs its word to us in this regard, God, as he speaks his word to us, we need to pay explicit attention to that. And nowhere is that clearer, I think, the seriousness of temptation, according to the scripture, a fabulous passage, is right in the middle of what we looked at today. We are going to look focus basically just upon one verse. So if you have your Bibles open and if you look at verse 13... If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I think when we look and ask the question about the nature of temptation and how seriously we should take it, I think it's hard to avoid the implications of this particular verse. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. When we talk about temptation, we are not talking about a cute little picture of a devil with a horns and a cape. We are talking about life and death. So says the Word of God. So must we say as well. We begin right in the beginning of verse 13, the first, uh, first part of that, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We have to clarify here a little bit the idea of the flesh. 
uh, because that could be misunderstood. The Bible uses the term flesh in a number of different ways, kind of like we would. Uh, it, it's not surprising that the term would have different nuances or different understandings. One way of understanding the flesh is simply the physical part of our bodies. Uh, what is physical about this world? It is the flesh. And, and here we're talking about the flesh in, in that kind of a regard, our bodies. That's not what Paul is talking about in this passage. And there's plenty of evidence, there's plenty of reasons to clarify that Paul here is not talking against the material world. He is not saying that there is something about this material world, there's something about our flesh that somehow dis, uh, is upsetting to God himself. That's not what Paul is talking about. Rather, he is contrasting the flesh with that which is spiritual. Now you can see this most clearly just in the text that I read a little bit earlier. It's why I read the whole section, even though we're going to focus just upon verse 13. But if you look back at verse 5 and 6, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. You have that contrast here. To set your mind on the flesh is death, in verse 6. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So in some fashion, whatever Paul's talking about here, when he talks about if you live according to the flesh, he's not saying if you live in the body, if you live physically or something like that. We all do that. That's how God created us. He created us to have bodies and to live a, a physical form, in a physical form. Rather, what Paul's saying is if you live according to the flesh, what is according to the flesh here? It's in contrast to according to the spirit. The flesh is that which orients its focus upon me, upon us, upon yourself. The easiest way to summarize what it means to live according to the flesh is to live according to yourself, to live according to your own views, according to your own understanding, for your own glory, for your own desires. To live according to the flesh is to live with self in mind. Contrast that then with to live according to the Spirit. What is to live according to the Spirit? It is to be focused, to be oriented, to orient your life all and completely towards God and God alone. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, we're all going to die. So what's Paul talking about? Or is this just a general statement that we all kind of live according to the flesh? No, Paul's actually drawing a very big distinction here. The death that he's talking about here is not just the physical death that we will all go through, but that death that separates us from God the Father. That's the death that is being addressed here, that if you live according to the flesh, you will be separated from God the Father. Martin Luther was a theologian uh, four or five hundred years ago, had a huge influence upon the Christian church and really on Western civilization as a whole. And if you study his life, you realize that he was terrified. He was terrified of sin. He was terrified of displeasing God. There are a lot of people that psychoanalyze him today and think that he was, you know, crazy for being so introspective or being so worried about, his, uh, about sin, etc. And the accusation often goes that Martin Luther was so scared of going to hell that he then focused his life upon Christ, and we gained the benefit of that. But you only have to read Luther's work very briefly to realize that Luther wasn't afraid of hell. He was afraid of not being with God. Now, that happens to be hell, 
But that's not what Luther was terrified of. Luther was terrified of this notion that he was going to be separated from everything that is good, everything that is glorious, everything that is wonderful, that he would die. That's the word that Paul has in mind here. When he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will be separated from God the Father. If you live oriented towards yourself. Now, is that you? Well, I think that a great way of checking that is to ask yourself, what do you daydream about? What do you think about when you're washing the dishes or when you're mowing the yard? What is it that occupies your mind? Of course, our kids do, our parents, our neighbors, our church, all of those things are in our heads. Of course they are. But what orients your life? It's way too easy to say, oh, it's Jesus Christ, and not really live that way. And this is serious because Paul says that if we live according to the flesh, we will die. And the whole thrust of temptation, we're going to begin to look at this next week more clearly, but the whole thrust, the whole orientation of temptation is to take you and orient you. Now, again, this is one of these simple misunderstandings we have because I think we, we, we cheapen temptation. We don't think through it seriously enough. Temptation isn't trying to make you do something bad. Temptation is trying to orient you towards yourself, sometimes through very glorious means, through wonderful things. But even if a wonderful thing gets your focus off of God, you are living according to the flesh. Now, the way the verse is set up, it kind of seems like we've got two options here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, you know, if you uh, uh, kill the deeds of the body, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, okay, sounds like you've got two different options here. But that's another reason why I tried to read the whole entire passage, because what Paul is saying throughout this text, and it starts right at the beginning, therefore for you Christian, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for the believer. There is no person here who has identified themselves with Jesus Christ that Christ will absolutely allow you to live according to the flesh. You will not be allowed by our Lord to live according to the flesh. Why? Because the whole point of this text leading up to this verse is to say, you are God's. And, the way, and his hands are upon you so that he will not let you live according to the flesh. Then why does Paul write this? If you live according to the flesh, is it just to scare us all? Imagine yourself at the top of a cliff, and you've got your cliff, and you've got your son with you, and your son's looking down over there, and he says, "Gee, Dad, how far is that?" And you say, "Well, if you take a step off, you'll know how far it is." You're not really inviting your son to take a step off. That's not really an option for him. You're trying to get to the seriousness of how deep the cliff is, how steep the cliff is, by saying, if you step off, you'll find out. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. 
he is saying, if you live according to the flesh, you will die if those temptations that are constantly present upon you drive you to yourself. There is but one end for you. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Now, what are the deeds of the body? Now, clearly, this is just parallel to the works of the flesh, living according to the flesh. If you put to death the deeds of the body. Now, we need to make sure, again, that you're not thinking that this is sexual sin or gossip or pride or money or any of those kind of things. That's not what Paul has in mind. Paul is not creating a big, long list. Why doesn't he give us a list? Because his point is not avoid these 1,500 things. His point is, where are you oriented? Is your life oriented towards the Lord? Then you are living according to the Spirit. If your life is oriented towards yourself, then you are under temptation. The Spirit is being, you, you are being tempted to embrace the life of the flesh. So he says, if though you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Now I want to spend a little bit of time on put to death. If you put to death the misdeeds of the body. This is one of those English, or this is one of these biblical phrases that it would be easy just to read over very briefly. You know, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body and not slow down and say, wait a minute. What is Paul saying here? Paul is calling, and now the Paul is calling for each one of us to put to death. What does it mean to kill something? What does it mean for something to be dead? All right, now, of course, we all immediately jump to a body and stuff like that. That's okay. But think about a car battery. What is a, if a car battery is dead, what, it, it has no power. It cannot influence anything. It is powerless. If your cell phone is dead, it is powerless. It can't affect anything. If you say to somebody, oh, I'm dead tired, what are you saying? You're saying that I, I can't affect anything. I can't do anything. What Paul is saying here is put to death the misdeeds of your body. Put to death everything in your life. Put to death every temptation that is driving you to orient your life towards yourself and instead cause yourself to live by the Spirit. Put to death those things. Rob it completely of its power. Now, if you rob something of its power, if you have no ability to, to act, uh, then it, you have killed it. You have put it to death. But if, verse 13, yes, if by the Spirit you put to death, if you put something to death here, then what are you doing? You are robbing it of its power, that language, put it to death, sounds very violent. And I think that we have to come face to face with the violent nature of that language if we're going to appreciate what Paul is saying. Because what Paul is not saying is, oh, coddle it, or tamp it down, or make sure it doesn't embarrass you. What Paul is saying here is put it to death. To put something to death is not to limit it, it's not to hinder it. It is to rob it of any power it has over you whatsoever. Now, Paul is not saying put to death the other person 
or put to death the sin in their life. This is Paul being incredibly reflexive, saying, put to death the sin that is in your life. There is no cause here for Christian violence. There's no cause here for Christians to go out and try to kill other people's sin or try to kill other people because they're sinners or anything like that. And we all know that the church history is littered with the abuses that look like that. But that doesn't mean that we should shy away from the term. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is that we read this like Paul saying, now be really careful with your sin. Be real careful with your temptations. But anybody that is mature at all realizes that if you play with matches, you're going to get burned. If you just coddle your temptations, or if you just, see, for me, it would be easier if the text just said, press down, keep on the down low your sin. Make sure that it doesn't show, because that's what I'm really interested in. I just don't want my sin to embarrass me. I, I, my sin is bad enough, and I just want to make sure that I can get through the day without anybody really seeing what a horrific sinner I really am. That's what I'm concerned about. That's not what Paul's concerned about. Paul's concern here is to put it to death, completely get rid of that sin. Why? Because if you don't, you live by the flesh and you will die. Paul's words here are picked up uh, centuries later, and I wish that I would have said this. It's brilliant. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. The reason why we are talking about temptations is that if you are not constantly aware and killing the temptations in your life, robbing them of that power, if you are not killing them, then they will for sure resurrect and bite you in the hiney. Because that's what temptation does. That's what sin does. Sin is constantly waiting like cancer to devour you when you are not watching, while you are not paying attention. So Paul doesn't say, just make sure you hide your sin or that you push it into a corner or that you... And now the, the frustration is that for so many of us, so much of who we are is intricately wound up with our sinful nature. We, we sin, and that's part of who we are. And the fear is that if I get rid of completely, if I completely kill this sin, or if I completely kill this temptation, then I am going to somehow be less me. And that's not Paul's thought here at all. The biblical word for us, the way that Jesus speaks to us through this text, is to say, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. I want to look at the word a little bit. Put to death. Okay, put to death is in the active sense. That, in other words, it's the active tense here is a verb. In other words, Paul is saying, you must do this. This is not an option. This is not a, 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 a possibility. This is not a suggestion. Paul is saying, you put to death. Now, most of us have no concept of what that looks like. Have you ever tried to put something to death in your life? Paul's words here is, now, if you are struggling with some kind of an addiction, if you have uh, 
been abused in some way or something by, uh, by a, a substance abuse or something like that, you know what that's like. You have tried to put those things to death. But this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Put it to death. There's an active sense, an active part of this. But beyond just the active sense, the word um, is active, but it's also in the present tense. Now, the present tense means that it's not a one-time event. It's not put it to death once in the past. It's put it to death in a continuous sense. You are always putting to death the sin in your life. You are always putting to death the temptations in your life because they're like zombies. They don't stay dead. And anybody here that has really struggled with a temptation know that's the case. You successfully fight it off for a week, for a month, for 10 years, and you know that it takes nothing for that sin, to, that temptation to rise up again and to grab you. People who are in uh, AA programs or anonymous programs, they know that's the case. You are never free from these things. They are always seeking to grab a hold of you. And so Paul says, put it to death continually, consistently. The temptations that we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come are not things that, that we have to just avoid. These are temptations that are built into who we are. That's what it means for us to be sinful and broken in this world. And the call is going to be constantly to put those things to death. And if we left right now, I would be this marvelous, inspirational speaker and would be able to charge lots of money. And we would miss the gospel message that is interwoven in everything that Paul writes in every page of the scriptures. Because I skipped a, so a part of this verse, didn't I? If you live by the, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Do you see, by the way, that that's a capital S? It's a capital S here, too. It's a capital S. It's not if in your spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body. It's if, you, if by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in the midst of all of this, your challenge, your, your hearing that we can't take this uh, cavalierly, that we have to take this seriously. Okay, we have to take this seriously. What do we do? How do I put that to death? You're telling me over and over again to put it to death. Tell me how. The instrument, the means, the power that is yours through God's blessing itself is his own very spirit. If by the spirit, if by your own strength, you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you are living according to the flesh. If by trying really hard, by having an accountability group, by having devotions and reading every day, if all of those means might be helpful, but there is only one tool that God has given us whereby we put to death the misdeeds of the body, and that is his very spirit. I need you this week 
when you go from this place to be confronted by your sin and to be confronted by temptations and to face them in the power of the Spirit and put them to death. Not be aware that they're there, not coddle them, not do it in your own strength, but rather to stand before your Lord and say, God, by the power of your Spirit, by the working of your Spirit, help me, direct me, make it so that I might put to death the misdeeds of the body. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would work exactly that way in our hearts. For we are well aware of the need that is before us, that we are broken sinners, and that temptation is always before us, and that you have called forth from us not to live according to the flesh. Indeed, you have promised in this text that we cannot, as your children, live according to the flesh. So, Lord, when we find ourselves adrift, when we find ourselves orienting our lives towards ourselves, reorient us, Lord. Remind us that we need to put to death those fleshly things and instead, by the power of your Spirit, to experience a life that is Spirit-led and therefore that has victory, that expresses the joy of your salvation that you have given to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.